This Dharma talk by Joan Sutherland is the second of three given at the Koan Ancestors Retreat on November 3rd, 2012 at Mountain Cloud Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I think one of the really beautiful things about this hall is the way we're aware of the sun moving through the day. It can also mean that you can get smacked in the face <laughs> with a bunch of sun. So if if you're uncomfortable by the in your relationship to the sun, just um, play with the shades and see what you need to do, okay? On the night that Shakyamuni spent under the Bodhi tree, many interesting things happened. Um, And I wanted to talk about a couple of them, which are not the dramatic um, being attacked by Mara's demons and all of that, but but incredibly important um, moments and, and speak directly to what we're talking about this weekend. You may remember that at a certain point, um, Shakyamuni sees the way some part of him, which we'll call the surface self, has built this house of pain that he's been living with. And he is able to interrupt that, to break through that. And he he says with great um, passion and depth of feeling, O carpenter, Lifetime after lifetime, I've been looking for you. And now I see you. And the house is destroyed, the ridge pole is broken, and the rafters are, are shattered. And I will never build this house again. So one of the ways we can understand that moment is that Shakyamuni has sunk into his free self and is looking back at the surface self from that position and he's seeing it as the builder of the the house that feels constricted the house where you feel like you're in the loop that you can't ever get out of but the really important thing here in terms of our way is he says oh oh carpenter now i see you not now i kill you <laughs> or you know now now i repudiate you or now i'm going to send you to reeducation camp or you know he's now i see you and so there's a coming into relationship what does he see he sees the emptiness of the constructed self Not as something specially empty, but as something empty like everything else is empty. So if it's empty, it's not inevitable. The ways we are, the ways we live, the things we feel, the the beliefs we have, the thought constructions, none of it, none of it, none of it, none of it is inevitable because it's all empty just as everything else is. So empty means a certain kind of absence of solidity, absence of inevitability. But it also means the presence of incredible possibility. If it's empty, it's malleable, it's shapeable, it's affectable. We can come into some kind of relationship with it. 
And in fact, that's what Shakyamuni does. Uh, after that night is over, and he spends a couple of days absorbing what happens, what's happened, he thinks, I'm never going to be able to talk about this. <laughs> There's no way I can possibly speak about this thing that I have come to understand. But then he works his way around to understanding that he has to talk about it. He has to get up from under the tree and start walking and start talking about what he's come to know. That's coming into a relationship with the surface self, the free self and the surface self meeting. But now, instead of being under the, um, at the mercy of karma, you know, under the inevitabilities of the sort of karmic wheel, the surface self is put at the service of the free self which is to say it's put at the surface service of the Dharmakaya. And when that happens, it becomes possible to speak. It becomes possible for him to teach. And what we can see is the absolutely essential nature of the surface self. Without that, Shakyamuni is going to spend eternity sitting under that tree. And um, none of the rest of this mess would have unfolded over the last 2,500 years. (laughs) Or maybe it would have, but in a different way. So it's about that coming into good relationship. So what about that? At another moment in that night under the tree, um, he sees all of his past lives... And there's a beautiful image in one of the ways it's told that it's like he's looking at the surface of a pond and the pond is covered with all these leaves and the leaves are all touching each other and overlapping each other and each leaf is a life. And he sees that he sees instantly every, everywhere he's ever been and everyone he's, he's, everyone, everyone he's ever been and everywhere he's ever been and um, the content of all of it. But he understands that that's not the important thing, that he was a king over here and a deer over there and that this happened or that happened. That's not the essential thing. It's not the, the, the narration of the stories. It's the thread, the through line that connects all of them. And he sees that all the leaves are just touching each other and make one giant kind of thing. They're not separate anymore. And the thing that connects them the through line, the thread, is the vow toward awakening. And that was true even before he was conscious of having that vow. It was true when he became conscious of it, and ever since then. And that was the important thing to see, that through line. That lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, whether he was conscious of it or not, he had been living out this vow toward awakening that had finally come to some kind of fruition, although you know, my sense is that it probably went, um, went on quite after that. So, in seeing... This through line of the vow of awakening through his many lives, he also saw, we can see, that in, in that understanding, he understood, we can understand, the identity of our individual vow toward awakening with the vow of the Dharmakaya, 
which is also toward awakening, the awakening of all things, our common awakening, the awakening of the universe together, which is a very, 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 very long arc. And um, sometimes it can be hard to remember that that's the arc we're on because there are lots of steps backward and lots of failures and lots of experiments that go horribly wrong. But in general, there is this arc of awakening driven by the vow of the Dharmakaya. And it's when we surrender to that free self, which is such an interesting paradoxical notion to surrender to the free self, right? Um, And we understand that that's our vow, too. Then we come into complete alignment with the movement of the Dharmakaya. So it's no longer just moving through us, which it always is and always was, whether we were aware of it or not, the Dharmakaya is always roaring through each of us and roaring through everything else in the world, you know, the great roaring silence. Um, not, only, not only is that occurring, but we are becoming conscious of it. And that's the crucial thing. Because when we become conscious of that thing always happening, this roar of the Dharmakaya through us, We're no longer just receiving it. We're actually able to co-create with it. We are actually able to join our vow of awakening with the great vow of awakening of the Dharmakaya to make a particular life. A life that isn't just, um, as in the Zen expression, living by vow, but a life that is vow where there is no separation, where there is complete identity among the Dharmakaya's vow, our vow, and our life. They are all one and the same thing. Um, And... I think I want to just stop there for a moment and see if there are any questions or comments about that piece because there's a certain roaring quality to that piece, I think. (laughs) Could you just say that again? When we become conscious of the roar of the Dharmakaya, dot, dot. Then then we can co-create with it. Oh, we can co-create. Yeah. Okay. Rather than just being a receptacle right. for it. Right. So does it, does it mean that we all have the same original now? Or that each of us has a particular one? Okay. Yeah, the, that's, um, yes. <laughs> Both things are true. That, that, um, the deep meaning of the vow is toward awakening. How each of us understand that, express that, experience that will have the flavor of each of us. So it's, as it always is in this way, the marriage of you know, the vast and eternal with the local in particular. And that's what we 
discover, and there are two parts to that. I mean, the, the first part is discovering that there is this vow of awakening, and um, really coming to accept that, because I think some of the fear that got expressed in the dreams is that the fear of what does that mean to really land there and choose to stay there? What are the implications of that? So that's the first part, is really the willingness to land there and stay there, to surrender to the free self. And then the second part is, and what is my particular expression of that? What is my vow that's only mine? And these things can't be solved by thinking about them. They can't be solved by trying to figure it out. They can only be solved by experiencing it. And so what we do in the practice is we put ourselves in the way over and over and over again of experiencing that, which we can't control and we can't will. We can only make ourselves available for. And, you know, if you, if you, had, to, if you had to sort of have a catchphrase for what this practice is, it is the practice of making ourselves available in so many different ways. And this is the deepest way making ourselves available to the Dharmakaya. And then that has, you know, all of these other expressions, making ourselves available with uh, love and generosity for the world around us. <coughs> when you were speaking of emptiness and the um, opening up to possibilities by seeing that, it's... Um, like the metaphor of the world always speaking to us. Um, this past Monday was Ian's birthday. Mm. We went out for Chinese food. And at the end, they gave him two fortune cookies. Mm. He opened one and it was empty. <laughs> and um, I was like, that's the best fortune cookie. <laughs> it's yours to create. You know, you, you can do what you want. And I, you know, the possibilities are endless. So we were leaving, I asked... I told the, the waitress, and I was like, did you do that? Was that on purpose? I mean, because I think that'd be the beautiful birthday gift is, here's one with fortune that has one, here's one that's empty, and mm-hmm. it's your birthday, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, no, I'll give you a new one. I said, no. <laughs> we don't want, this was perfect. Exactly it. So the best fortune cookie is the one that's empty. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So when you say the arch of awakening, um, are you meaning like mankind is evolving? Everything is evolving. The whole universe. Except Mitt Romney. Yes, including Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he was a frog last time. <laughs> I guess my question is to what, you know, we often say we're evolving and we're changing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I wouldn't use a word like better, but I would use awakening. I would use the, the you know, I, um, this is, this is theory yeah. based on experience. Um, and, but it is very much a part of the Mahayana tradition. And the theory based on experience is that there is this movement of waking up in the universe as a whole, which is very slow, unfolds very slowly. Just so the result that comes to mind as well, 
what if that's just the natural movement of the universe? It just wakes up and then goes back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I guess we're evolving, but in a way, maybe nothing changes. I, I'm just wondering. I'm thinking about how we look at these pictographs and we go back to, to thousands of years ago and the wisdom of these people, mm -hmm. and we feel really small. I mean, I feel maybe that's what I should say. Nowadays, compared to the wisdom of those people then. And so then I think to myself, well, if they already sort of understood it all, so we're, you know, thousands of years later, we're still searching. Well, I don't think in the time scale we're talking about a thousand years is very long, yeah. right? So that's yeah. that's one thing. And the other thing is that it's always... Awakening isn't just a matter of understanding or a spiritual experience. It's also a matter of embodiment. So we are carrying on this beautiful project of how to embody the awakening that, that as human beings we, we can touch. You know, how miraculous is that? So we're in, we're in this particular phase of the experiment. And we will do things that will contribute to that, and we will do things that will be horrible warnings about what not to do again. Any other questions or comments? Just one that, uh, dropping back into what came up last night about the um, the dance being emptiness with feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the crucial movements here is from will to vow. From surface self to, to free self is from will to vow. So we're no longer trying to push things via our will. We're trying to live them via our vow. The question shifts from what do I have to do about this or what can I do about this or what should I do about this to what is happening and what is my place in it. In any moment. And where do I find the vow in this moment? You can go into a situation 
with the intention of figuring out what ought to happen. Or you can go into a situation with the intention of looking for where the vow is in the situation. And those are two very different things. If we go into each moment of our lives with the intention of looking for the vow, we're in an aspect of listening and paying attention and receiving before acting. So that the action is not driven by our sense of will, which usually comes out of our sense of right and wrong or what's good for me, (laughs) what's not good for me. It's driven by the world itself, by the situation itself. And so what we do is we enter with our vow and look for the vow coming toward us from the world. And then we try to find the match in that. Does that make a strange kind of sense? Yeah, exactly. Does the vow get interrupted when we forget the, the dream? We forget the, the dream that is, um, you know, since we spent all that time this morning going over dreams, like, do we forget the vow when we forget the dream? The dream, the, sort of the dream of the universe? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 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 And, and the, it's not that. We lose the vow, but I think forget is a good word. We, we drop out of relationship with it, and then we have to find it again. Yeah. So say more about the rela- that relationship of that to the dream of the world. Well, I mean, it just seems like um, you know, we think it gets possibly derailed into you know, the solidity of things. Yeah. You know? um, and then, then that potentiate, you know, that real... That that real potential for the vow to keep on, um, keep on flowing, it gets, you know, gets, um, uh, stuck, and it gets caught, caught, like yeah, and yeah, trapped, and, yeah, yeah, constructed, in the construction, that trap that was constructed, mm-hmm. uh, It seems to me, really looking back at the arc again and taking up um, <clears throat> will versus vow as you bring it, what was coming up for me is from the surface self and willing, the uh, preoccupation is getting to what we think the end of the arc is. We want to get to where things will be once and for all because in our minds we picture that arc landing somewhere. But then vow, like you say, you're, you're just recognizing you're part of this arc. Yeah. And that is not where you are right now. You are here. And that's the area to attend to, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and going along with that, I think, is the way that 
um, if we're driven by will, it tends to reinforce that sense of a, a kind of a solid self behind our eyes that is, you know, projecting something into the world to, to make it happen. Whereas vow is so much more vulnerable, you know, it's, it's, it's so much less defended and less protected and, and so much more recognition that we're, <clears throat> we're part of it. <clears throat> so as you say, we're part of this, this um, concatenation of causes and conditions, right? <laughs> yeah. It's great words. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to mention um, one other piece, which has to do with, as I was talking about on the way down and then on the way back up. So in the booklet, in the lower left corner of of the left-hand side, emptiness. In, In Chan, that Wu, that emptiness gets attached to a lot of things so that you have <clears throat> actually from Taoism you have Wu Wei which is empty action a really important um, part of Taoism you have um, Wu Sheng which is unborn you probably run across that in Zen literature the unborn you have um, Wu Xin the Xin right above it heart mind so um, it's usually translated as no mind, but that, that's what it is. It's, it's the, the empty heart mind. And there's, there's a, a thing that happens as, we, as we're on the way down from the surface self to the free self, where that kind of emptiness, um, empty action, empty mind, um, not born, not dying, you know, not the whole, the whole um, Heart Sutra litany of knots, you know, that's all, that's all that, that Wu character. Um, that has to do with, with stopping our habitual ways of doing things, interrupting the patterns. What is it like to have a heart mind that isn't full of all the stuff it's usually full of? That's what it's talking about. What is it like to recognize that um, <clears throat> everything is unborn and undying? That there's a none of none of that. All of that is empty. All of that is um, happening in some material sense, but at the same time, not happening at all. Um, what is it like to act without our usual preconceptions, our usual ways of doing things? So the trip down is about, as we've said, shedding and deconstruction and interruption and putting down, which is the way we loosen the grip of the surface self. It's the way we get out of the loops. We keep putting down and putting down and putting down and putting down. That's why the first koan for, for often for people is Jiaozhou's no. And so we have the practice of saying no over and over and over again, which is a very weird practice if you're looking at it from outside. Like, why would you want to do that? You know, Why wouldn't you say yes? Because you have to say no for a while. You have to question everything. You have to destabilize everything. Um, 
that great poem of, of Amichai's where he says, doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, um, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. So it's that, that quality of digging up, of destabilizing. And that's why it's scary, because it does do that. It does destabilize. We do confront the emptiness of everything. We do confront the fact that we're not solid and eternal, and we too shall die, you know. Um, so that's how we break. We break the, the dominion of the surface self and the dominion of karma. We're basically saying also no to all of the karmic momentum that's brought us to this point. Because karma only exists right to here. And from right here, where we sit, as a result of all of those causes and conditions that have previously occurred, we have the ability to do something different right here. And so we break the inevitability of the control of that roaring momentum of karma, of causes and conditions. So that's, that's a big no. You know, that's a really big no that we're saying that contains within it tremendous potential for change, for creativity, for weird possibility, for the unexpected for the surprise. Okay, so down, 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 down at the free self. It's <laughs> so easy, you know. Um, <laughs> um, resting, resting on, on the $2,000 beautiful bed of, of that place in the free self where um, we, each of us, and the Dharmakaya and the vow are the same where we are the vow. And after a nice rest, rising up out of that place and coming back into relationship with the surface self in the way that Shakyamuni did, um, which enabled him to get up from under the tree and start walking and start talking. And when that begins to happen, all of those terms like no action, no birth, um, no mind, flip in their meaning, and they become the action of the Dharmakaya, the action, um, the, the aliveness of the Dharmakaya, the heart-mind of the Dharmakaya. Can you can you can you see that in your mind that if you have, if you have for example, wu shin emptiness heart mind. It becomes the heart mind that is emptiness. That is the dharmakaya. That is the vastness. So that's the promise when we can reunite surface and free self, that we will be able to discover um, the activity of the vastness in our own lives, the aliveness 
of the vastness, the heart-mind of the vastness. And we can do something about that, which is deeply expressive of our vow in the world. Okay, what I would like us to do is um, to go outside for about 15 minutes and um, just walk around, each, each on your own, in silence. And hold the question as you walk of, uh, what is my original vow? And resist all attempts to try to figure it out, mm-hmm. but see if the landscape speaks to you. See if the landscape will tell you something about your original vow. So again, that sense of you walk out to meet it, and if you do that with sincerity, it will begin to walk towards you. Okay? These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.